Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. We are continuing on with this theme, Facing the Future, Living Our Rhythms. Um, and I said a couple of weeks ago that we were going to take two or three weeks, three weeks, maybe even four weeks on spiritual warfare. Hence, um, when you're dealing with spiritual warfare and talking about a subject like that, it's something you usually end up having to fight for. And I had a bit of a fight for it this week. This is a scary place to stand when you feel you're not hearing fully from the Lord. And um, I had loads of ideas, loads of thoughts, loads of stuff on paper, but nothing was really gelling. If ever, if ever you've been in that position, I hope you haven't. It's not a nice position to be in. So yesterday, I went out. I thought I, I thought I'd cut the grass. And um, if you've started to do that yet, so I sometimes get inspiration when I wash cars and cut the grass. Some people say, well, I'll leave mine round. That's no problem at all. Um, and so I was cutting the grass, and um, as I was cutting the grass, this was starting, not yesterday, this was Friday evening, I was cutting the grass. I actually started to cut the grass at half five. How cool is that? Half five, quarter to six. Um, it was dark a few weeks ago at that time, and um, I was talking to the Lord, and I was saying, Lord, I just don't know, I haven't, this hasn't settled in me. I want to talk more about strongholds because I think they're really important. I do think people struggle in this area, and I want to talk about it. I just don't want it to be samey. I want uh, something fresh. And um, I felt like the Lord speak to me, and I felt the Lord say this little phrase. I'll jump on a little bit um, to tell you, um, all right? You can begin again. And I stopped the lawnmower, and I stopped it in the middle of the lawn, and I sat down on top of it. Now, I don't have a ride on lawnmower. Um, I just sat down on it because I felt emotion. I felt emotion start to rise. And I felt the Lord say to me, Phil, if, if I was giving you a message for one person on Sunday morning, the message would be, tell them you can begin again. You can begin again. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done, where you've come from, or where you've been. I feel the word of the Lord to you this morning is this, you can begin again. Back in 2006, in February, just um, literally four or five weeks before Jill died, her and I went to India over to visit Pastor Jacob, and we spent two weeks with him. And we spent two weeks out in the tribes living in mud huts and stuff like that. It was fun. And um, uh, on the way there, we landed in Dubai Airport, and it was literally just a stopover where we would change flights, so we didn't get into Dubai. But we were in Dubai Airport. It's an amazing airport. It's just like a, it's like a city. And there were people everywhere. I've never seen as many people in my life. There were just people everywhere. And the building was humongous. That's a word, and um, the uh, so 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 far is it from one gate to the other that these walking runways that you step on it's like a flat escalator you see them all the time and 
um, places like Heathrow and other, other places like that. And so um, the, these, these walking escalators or moving escalators and you get on and then you go along and then there's a, a, a stop where there's gates. And we were on one of those moving runways and uh, it was absolutely bunged with people. There were people everywhere. We were like this. I remember putting my hand in my pocket to make sure my wallet was okay. And um, just keeping, it was just crammed with people. But as we neared the end, I think I've told you this story before, but as we neared the end of the moving runway, um, this lady in front of us had two bags and she was an elderly lady and I knew she was nervous. I didn't see her getting on, but as she come to near the end of it, um, she, 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 I knew rightly this things were not going to end up good here. And she began to, to, she began to step back um, because she, she, she was nervous about coming to the end of the walkway. And as she began to step back, everybody began, and then the inevitable happened. People actually started to fall. And um, it looked like it was very dangerous. And I got to do that thing legally, hit the red button. Um, but you, you've done it before, not legally. But... Um, <laughs> But, uh, and so we gathered all the bodies up and all the people up and this poor old lady got off her um, walking runway. Three, four weeks after, we come home, Jill died. And it was, I can't remember just exactly when, but um, sometime in the weeks after that, the Lord brought that story back to my mind that we don't do endings well. We don't do endings well. And... Um, the thing about this is we live in a kingdom that there are no endings. There's no endings in the kingdom. There's only beginnings. There's no endings. There's no end to this kingdom that we talk about today. There's just beginnings. And so um, as we begin today, and so what I want to say to you is if you're struggling with what's going on in your life at the minute, you can begin again. There's always a beginning. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to, I'm going to go back, Wes, and um, I'm going to talk to you about Forrest Gump there. You knew you'd come for a really in-depth message. Back in um, 1994, July 1994, the film was launched, Forrest Gump, played by Tom Hanks. He plays a guy with a lower than average IQ. Um, it was a pretty enormous success at the box office. Sold something like 12 million copies of the theme tune of it alone. Um, and it has famous quotes like, um, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Um, and, uh, but a great line comes in the movie in this scene. And in this scene, he's with his um, childhood sweetheart, Jenny, who he grew up with. And he's in love with Jenny. And Jenny goes back to her home house where she grew up. The thing about Jenny's life was um, her growing up wasn't very good. Her life was full of abuse and all kinds of um, horror. And she gets to this house and um, she relives the mind, in her mind some of the awful childhood abuses and she stares at the house in tears, angry and pain, and then she just begins to throw rocks. You should watch the scene. She starts to pelt this old house with rocks, and she's weeping, and she's shouting, and she's pelting this house with rocks, and then she just falls in the dirt in this scene here um, and begins to weep. And of course, Forrest Gump and his wonderful... Um, 
encouragement says, sometimes there's just not enough rocks. Sometimes there's just not enough rocks. And um, I want to talk to you this morning about when there aren't enough rocks. <laughs> All of us deal with stuff in our life that we try to deal with ourselves. We try to deal with these strongholds in, uh, in a sort of a idealistic manner that we can deal with it ourselves. But what if, what if this morning that there's just not enough rocks? There's just not enough rocks to deal with your past. There's just not enough rocks that actually take away the guilt. There's not enough rocks that take away the shame. There's not enough rocks that take away the idea that you could have done more or you could have helped this or you could have done this or you could have went another road or you could have whatever. We live in that sort of world of what ifs. And here's the danger that I find in Christendom today, and especially when it comes to the idea of strongholds, I find the um, danger is that we can live in compartments, that we can live the Christian life in one area and not live it in another area. I.e., we can, we, can, we, we can love worship and love church and go and worship God and really get into whatever is going on in the middle of church life. We can weep during worship, but we can be addicted to porn in the sacred place. We can, we can pray the house down when it comes to um, a corporate prayer time. We can pray. We can get into that because we've got God in that area, but we're struggling with an addiction to alcohol or maybe to drugs or maybe it's just a judgmentalism or gossip. And it feels like, the, and the danger is, the danger is, what I've, what I've learned is that we can, we can actually live in that world. We can learn how to live in that world. All of us can do it. I've done it. We can live in that world where we're almost like two people. We've managed two, two, two lifestyles. And the danger with that is that um, when, when it comes to, to, to that part of our lives, then we live in a guilt and in a shame, and there just aren't enough rocks to deal with that. There's just not enough rocks. And the Bible actually tells us that he is our rock. He is our fortress. We're going to look at this verse in a moment today, Psalm 31. He is our rock. He is our fortress. Therefore, for your name's sake, the psalmist says, will you lead me? Will you guide me? Will you help me with this? Will you tear down this stronghold? Because there just isn't enough rocks. When you look at people like Rahab in Joshua chapter 1, or Joshua chapter 2, she appears, and she hides the spies. She appears again in Joshua chapter 6 when the walls of Jericho fall down, and she gets her promise Lo and behold, she appears again in Hebrews eleven thirty one in the great hall of fame, in the great hall of faith. She was a prostitute. But she began again. She realized that there just wasn't enough rocks to deal with her own stuff. And one day she looked and she found that there was someone else who could deal. There was a rock, there was a fortress, there was a strong tower. James 2 talks about her as well. Talks about how she worked uh, with her faith and with her hands and how they worked in harmony and give her a spiritual echo, which was beautiful. John 1, 5, we haven't time to unpack the verse this morning, but um, it talks a little bit about... Um, it talks a little bit about the love of God, that God's love, having faith, believing in Jesus as the Son of God. These are all things that help us to deal with these strongholds. And the context of that passage is the love of God. The love of God is a very powerful thing. So when there aren't enough rocks, we have got a solid rock. And so what I want to do 
this morning, I want to talk to you about strongholds again, all right? Um, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 to 6, for we, um, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. The things that you're fighting for are not of the flesh, all right? For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not carnal, your authorized says. They're not of the flesh, but have divine power. And I'm going to talk to you about some of these weapons today. Divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. If there's a lofty opinion in your head that's competing with Jesus, then it's a stronghold. If there's a lofty opinion, if there's an opinion that says more about you than the Word says about you, if there's an opinion that you believe more than you believe what Jesus says, then you've got an identity crisis and um, you have a divine power to destroy that stronghold. We destroy arguments, every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There's an old saying about the birds can fly over your head, but they don't have to build a nest in your hair. They struggle to build a nest in my hair, and I know that. But it's, it's not really true. It's not really true. You, you can do without letting them into your hair at all. If you understand how to do them, if you understand how to take every thought captive. God's been teaching me a little bit about this personally where even when my mind begins to stray into things that I know that it shouldn't be straying into, where I take it captive, where I immediately say, I need to take that thought captive. That's not a godly thought. When I think something about somebody, when I think something that I shouldn't be doing or shouldn't be watching, when something comes on the TV screen that you know isn't honoring of God, where you take the thought captive right away, because if you don't, it just goes down the rabbit hole and off you go. He says, take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your disobedience or when your obedience is complete. So what we want to do this morning, again, talking about my strongholds design, I want to talk to you this morning about how to define them, how to detect them, and how to demolish them. How do we define what is a stronghold in our lives? This thought pattern that you see under the ground, I've explained this to you many times, that we build a value on, even when it's a wrong value, and then our lifestyle begins to live in that way because we believe the lie, we begin to live out the lie, and then the enemy puts a roof on that, builds a house, and it becomes a stronghold. You see, if you give the enemy a foothold, what it is, if somebody were to try to break into your home today and um, you were to open the door and they were to, you, you realize they were a thief, they were a robber, they won't welcome and you went to close the door and they were to put their foot in the door, they would have a foothold. Now you could stand on their toe and do and scream and shout, whatever you do, easier to get a foot out than get a stronghold out. Easier to deal with a foothold than a stronghold because if they get in, if they get in round and the door's closed and the door's at their back, then that's a stronghold. And that's how the enemy gets in. He gets in with a foothold and then that becomes a stronghold. And so the idea is, as a believer, you belong to the Lord's spirit, soul, and body, and you can begin again. And much of our life may be still occupied by pockets of resistance, like concepts and habits and thought systems not in agreement with the word and the will of God. And there are believers today in bondage to various areas of their life. They've tried to get freedom, but they're just not enough rocks. 
They've tried to get free. And we can live, as I say, in one section and then live this sort of multifaceted life. All right? And I believe that strongholds are uh, the leading cause of emotional disorders. Um, I believe that they're the greatest hindrance to balance spiritual growth and to spiritual life. And so I want to talk to you this morning about being free. I want to talk to you this morning about being free in totality, free in kingdom principles, all right? Um, And if we deal with these trouble areas as possible strongholds, we will see immediate results, I believe. And the good news is that Jesus came in his appointed and in his anointed ministry to proclaim liberty to the captives. Luke 4 reminds us of this again, of Isaiah 61. He, he, he's proclaiming liberty to the captives, opening the prison to them that are bound. So if you're bound in an area of your life this morning, Jesus has come to set you free. The thief only comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and not just life in pockets, not life in certain areas and not life in other areas, but life in full, life to abundance, um, the author says, that abundant life. And I believe this is the believer's legal inheritance. All right, this is your legal right. God has given you a legal right to this, all right? Now, a stronghold is, as we begin to define strongholds, my little diagram again, it's an area where spiritual darkness reigns. That's basically what it is. People say sometimes, well, can the enemy occupy a believer's life? Is that, is, can that happen? Well, my, my retort to that is that the enemy can occupy darkness. The darkness is his domain. So he has a legal right to, to, to traffic in darkness. And if that darkness is in a believer's life, then yes, the enemy can traffic in that. It's a spiritual darkness exists where there is an absence of a spiritual truth. You, you, you just can't overcome that. All right? And Psalm 119, verses, or verse 130 says this, The entrance of your words give light, and it gives understanding to the simple. We're going to look at that in a moment. So if there's the slightest area in your life where the light of God's truth is not shown, then the enemy is sure to make the most of it. So basically, um, a stronghold is any area of uh, darkness in a believer's life. Anything, it's also anything that in us is strong enough to keep us from becoming like Christ in that area of our life. That's a stronghold. If there's something in your life that competes with Jesus... That's a stronghold. If there's something in your life that competes with Jesus, you know this takes away your spiritual authority. This depletes your Jesus life. This depletes who you are. That's a stronghold. And of course, I told you last week that a stronghold is a hard place. It's a a fortress or a high tower. And it refers to a place on the battlefield that's an entrenchment or a fortress that the enemy fights out of. So any place where there's fixed in our minds or a mindset, thoughts, or behavior, or a conflict um, of the revealed truth, you can um, suspect a stronghold. And the longer the stronghold is allowed to remain, the more difficult it is to deal with. And as I've worked in this area over the years with people, I found some things. I found that people excuse them. They excuse them. They say, well, everybody's like that. Does everybody not do that? 
I, I could tell you story after story about that one, but I'll, I'll hold it there. And then we begin to justify it. Not only do we excuse it, actually, we begin to justify it. We begin to say, well, there's nothing I can do about it. That's just who I am. I'm always, I've always been like that. And so we just justify it. And then what we do is we actually begin to legalize it. We begin by the very voice of, of justifying it and excusing it. We begin to make it, a, we begin to give it a legal right to our lives. And then lastly, we, we actually fight to protect it. <laughs> and this morning, that's why I had to sit in the lawnmower on Friday afternoon, because this was a fight. This was a fight. And so, um, so how did the form? Um, let's talk about this. I, I, I believe they form in three different ways. I believe a stronghold may find root in an experience behind us. So our past is an interesting thing, and we've all got one. What happened in her past? So Jenny's past, as she fires rocks at her house, she's trying to, she's got a stronghold in her life. She can't get over the pain. She can't get over the hurt. She can't get over the abuse that her father did to her or other people. She can't get over that, and she's, she's firing rocks, and there's just not enough rocks to deal with your past. There are things that will relate what happened to us that will produce bondage. And, and if we don't deal with those, then we don't live in freedom. So um, things that happened behind us, things that happened in our past are really important that we deal with and break um, the stronghold of those. I, I believe that strongholds can exist through an environment around us. So for instance, in this town, there's a big stronghold in this town that's called sectarianism. It's been here for years and years and years. And they live in that side of the town and we live in this side of the town. And you don't cross that line and you don't go there. It's, a, it's from the pit of hell. And it creates a stronghold in our mind. Creates a stronghold in our mind. I know people who struggle to drive over the border because they think they're driving into enemy territory. Weird. Because the environment we've grown up in has created a mindset of a, a stronghold in our lives. And then, of course, they can come from a system error within us. So they can come from behind us, they can come from around us, or they can come from a very system error within us. So, for instance, that system error of maybe a wrong theology of thinking God, just a big um, uh, gura who hits you, really, likes you but doesn't love you um, or loves you but doesn't like you. That's what I meant to say. Um, this sort of baseball ball bat God who doesn't like you to have fun, doesn't want you to experience life in the way that you think you want to experience and he's just a spoiled sport. And we live with this idea that God's a judge and not a father. And all of us in some aspect have grown up in a little country that has loads of that stuff going on. And so that false information input produces false conclusions in our thinking. And when we come to Christ, the word of God's truth begins to deliver us from that system. Now, here's a lovely verse. I give you this in the Amplified. I love this in Hebrews 2, 14. It says that Jesus himself in a similar manner partook of the same nature Imagine that Jesus became flesh and dwelt amongst us. He, he, he took the same nature and that by going through death, he might bring to naught and make of no effect him, the devil, who had the, him, who had the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus became flesh, 
died for our sins, that he might bring to naught the power and authority of the enemy in your life, not just for eternity, not just for when you get home to heaven, but here and now we have been given, we can enter into demolishing strongholds. It has to be from a, 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 a position in which we are confident that we can win. And when you read a verse like this, which is just one of dozens and dozens and dozens, this is telling you that through the blood of Jesus Christ, you have victory over sin. We are not at a disadvantage in dealing with strongholds in our life. As a matter of fact, we are from a springboard of a great advantage, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ, as we'll see in a moment. We have been given authority over the power of the enemy, uh, and if we will believe God's word, the enemy will be destroyed because Jesus rose from the dead, and he made zero of the enemy. That's what he did. He set at naught his works. The devil is not a big deal. Jesus is a big deal. The enemy is not a big deal. Stop making him a big deal. Jesus is a big deal. We can do all things through Christ, Paul writes to the church at Philippi in 1.13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. All things. All means all. You can overcome that addiction, my friend. You can overcome that gossip issue in your life. You can overcome that pornography in your life. You can overcome even the most addictive drugs that are on the market. You can overcome those things through Christ because you can do all things as a believer in Christ. The enemy let you think in the flesh, you see. He lets you to think in the flesh. And in the flesh, there's just not enough rocks. There's just not enough rock. You will never break it. And what I want to do really quickly is I want to give you the weaponry that you have. Now, this is not exhaustive. There are just six of them really quickly. The first one is the written word of God. All right, the written God, you shall know the truth. I've told you that so many times. It's not the truth that sets you free. It's the knowledge of the truth that sets you free. That's why we do, I said this last week, that's why we do, that's why I do a devotion every morning. It's not because I'm in need of something to do. It's not because I'm not that busy. I'm doing that because there's something about getting people to know the word. Because when you know the word, when it gets into your mind and gets into your heart, it's the knowledge of the word that sets you free. Do you ever get into a, an argument with the enemy in your life and a verse springs to mind and you think, oh, I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. Philippians 1, we just quoted it. Because you, you know the word and it's the knowledge of that word that sets you free. And so it's so important that we understand that last week I, I give you my, um, my butt list, the list that, that, that I formed many years ago after Jill died, just fact versus truth really. When the fact says this, and the truth says this, what do you go with? You ought to go with the truth because, the, you see, again, this is legal ground. This is legal ground. When we fight the enemy on this, it's legal ground. It is written. We'll defeat him every time. That's what Jesus did. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. Shall not tempt the Lord your God. It is written over and over again. And th those little words, it is written, will defeat the enemy every time in your life. That is the power of the word of God. And um, the, so if you're struggling with sin, if you're struggling with this, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the idea of it. You might say, well, I'm not sure I can do all this on my own. But the truth is, you can do all things through Christ who gives you the strength. 
You might be tired. You mightn't want to praise God, but the truth is we're going to praise God at all times. His praise shall continually be in our mind. You think, well, the enemy, he's just, he's just inflicting serious attack on me at the moment, Phil. You have no idea. Well, the truth is, that might be the fact, but the truth is no weapon that's formed against you shall prosper. When you get into this word, when you begin to use it, so you might say, well, Phil, I'm weary. I'm just worn. I'm just battle-weary. Yeah, I knew that. That's a, that's a fact. But the truth is, they that wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They'll rise up with wings out of eagles. They'll run and not be weary, and they'll walk and not faint. You might say, well, Phil, I've been crying myself to sleep every night. That's a fact. That, that is a fact. But the truth is, weeping might endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The fact is, you watch the news and the world is crumbling as we watch it. The world is crumbling apart. That's the fact. But the truth is, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness are off. The world and they that dwell therein, it all belongs to him. He's in full control. So the written word is a powerful thing to fight the enemy. The name of Jesus is an incredible name. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed in him the name it's a name that's above every other name. Why is it people struggle to say the name of Jesus? Sometimes we almost think it's irreverent to say the name of Jesus. Do you ever think that the enemy has tried to make us think we're being irreverent when we say Jesus? The enemy's all over this like a rash. There is power in the name of Jesus because God give him that name. It's a name. You shall call his name Jesus. Do you remember? Because he will save his people from their sins. His name will be called Jesus. He is a name that's above every other name. That, that, the name of heaven, that name, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess uh, that he is the Lord. There is something powerful. It's a name. It, when, when we use his name, it's the means or the approval of or the authority of or for the acclaim of. That's what it means. When we boldly speak and act upon our belief in that name, I can tell you, strongholds will demolish. They will crumble and fall. Take authority in the name of Jesus. And if that's not enough, we've got the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. As this is in whom we have redemption through his blood. We remembered him this morning at the table. We remembered him with a little piece of cracker and a little piece, a little cup that reminded us of a, his body broken and his blood shed. Why? Why was his blood shed? Here it is. That we might have redemption through his blood. That we might have forgiveness for sins according to the riches of his grace. Not of our works but of his grace alone, saved by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone, not of works. And then it says, I love this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to it. Cleanses us from some sin. Cleanses us from small sins. No, no. Cleanses us from all sin. All sin, past, present, and future. Number four, we've got the present day ministry of the Holy Spirit. I wrote it like that because I want you to know it's not something of the past. He didn't come 2,000 years ago and, and sort of got a bit idle. He is the present day, present worker, present, present here, the Holy Spirit. He's a person. 
The Holy Spirit makes the truth of God relevant in our lives. And when the Spirit of truth comes, John 16 says, he will guide you into all the truth. Guide you. I love that word, all. You look it up in the Hebrew and Greek, it just means all. All right, all, all. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me and he will take what is mine, Jesus says, and declare it to you. The Spirit inspired the word, so he will interpret the word. <laughs> if he inspired the word, he'll interpret the word. That's why it's important to read it every day. That's why it's important to take time over it and allow the Spirit to interpret it to it. And then a very powerful one is just the word of her testimony. Tells us this in Revelation 12. They overcame him, Satan, by the, the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony and by not loving their lives unto death. What does that mean? What does the word of your testimony mean? That just means agreeing with everything that Jesus says. <laughs> I'm in agreement with this. That's the word of her testimony. God, you said it. I'm in agreement with it. That's my testimony. The fact is this. The truth is this. And the word of my testimony is, I'm going with this. That's the power of it. Very powerful, isn't it? And then, um, prayer. We have this confidence that we have towards him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, for we know that he hears us. In whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Do you think if you're asking God through all of these weapon, these powerful weapons that we have to demolish the stronghold, he's not going to answer? Think he's going to turn his back on you? As I say, I don't, I don't care who you are or where you've been or what you've done. The cross covers it all. Covers it all. And as we utilize these, as we begin to demolish these strongholds in our lives, what actually do we do is we actually, we turn the tables on the enemy and we build a good stronghold. We talked about this last week. And we begin to build it through the word. We change our thoughts. We renew the way we think about ourselves. We stop thinking we're junk. We stop thinking this is what the enemy's sowing into our lives. And we start to believe our identity. We start to believe we are who God says we are. And we begin to value that. We begin to live that. We begin to say, well, you know what? If I'm God's child, I am not going to destroy my body. I am not going to do that. I am not going to demolish that. I am going to change my lifestyle. I'm going to live a different way. And then the Holy Spirit comes and builds, puts a roof on that. And the Holy Spirit moves into that value system. And he just begins to add it. And as you begin to read the word every day, what happens is he just begins to change your thought pattern, build a value, and build a good stronghold. It's pretty incredible. Um, and as we, utilize the, as we utilize and learn these things, then we build that stronghold. And you know what? Anybody can do this. Anybody can do this. You might think, well, that's only for the learned or that's only for them. Or, you know, isn't it amazing that even um, the John, uh, uh, Peter and John had said that they, they, they sensed, and we've been just reading this in Acts, that they were unlearned men. They were just workmen. They were just ordinary they were ordinary five-eighths, we would call them. There was nothing glamorous about them. But they'd been with Jesus. And when, when you're with Jesus, something begins to happen. I love the story of the boy in, 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 in 1855. There was an 18-year-old boy who went to the 
elders of a Boston church and asked could he be a member. And I was reading this story this week. He had been raised in a Unitarian church in almost total ignorance to the gospel. Um, but when he had moved to Boston to make his fortune, he started to work for his uncle um, who made and sold shoes in a, a Boston store. And in April of 1853, uh, a Sunday school teacher who came into the shoe store and, and uh, plucked up a con conversation with this lad and started to tell him about Jesus and um, invited him to give his life to Jesus. And this boy did. And, um, and uh, he came at 18 and he was applying to this church for membership. And this is what the Sunday school teacher said of him. And I'm quoting. He says, I can truly say that I have seen few persons whose minds were spiritually darker than when this boy came into my Bible class. I think the committee of the church seldom met an applicant for membership who seemed more unlikely ever to become a Christian of clear and decided views of gospel truth, still less to fill any space or public of public or extended usefulness. Nothing happened very quickly to change their minds, we're told. The elders decided to put him on a year-long instruction program to teach him basic truths. And you'd probably be surprised to learn that that young man was none other than D.L. Moody. And D.L. Moody would be credited in his lifetime with speaking publicly to 100 million people. He was a fiery evangelist. Moody's youth contained no hints that he'd become a famous evangelist. He was born into a bricklayer's family, lived through the Gilded Age. His father died when he was four, and his mother, Betsy, raised 13 children. <laughs> Unreal, isn't it? Not a high school graduate. In 1879, he established a school for girls. In 1881, he established a school for boys. And in 1886, he established an institution which would later be called the Moody Bible Institute. Never underestimate what God wants to do through you. And here's the truth. You can begin again. If you've botched it up, join the club. We've all botched it up. But you can begin, begin again. And maybe this day is the day that you can start all over again. You know why? Because if you're trying to do it yourself, just not enough rocks. There's just not enough rocks to deal with the past. There's just not enough rocks to break the environment around us. And there's just not enough rocks to break sometimes the system error which is lodged inside us. He, he can do it because he's the rock of ages. So Father, I pray this morning that as we land this word, we just want to say thank you that we have the solid rock, none other than Jesus Christ himself. And I pray, God, that as we seal your word, whoever this word is for this morning, if it's just one person, I pray that that person will begin again no turning over a new leaf no thinking I'll give this a go but this morning allowing that stronghold in their life to be defined detected and demolished forever say God it's only one life that'll soon be passed and it's only what's done for Christ that will last.
May that be our cry and may that be our call in this place this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.